0: Welcome to Run This World. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom, and I am back for a good one. As you know, I am now doing all my podcasts live, partly because it's more fun, and partly because I don't want to deal with the headaches of editing these things. That is my kryptonite. It's what always makes me not want to do another episode, is the fact that I've got to go through more steps to get it on the air and into your ears. Well, guess what? We're not doing that anymore, so whatever happens today is sticking. And we've got a really interesting, fun, maybe volatile, I don't know, (laughs) super awesome guest, a new friend of mine who I met upon moving to Steamboat
1: Springs, Lizzie LaRocque, the woman with the coolest name in the world. Welcome. Thank you, Nicole. I love that. So it's live. It makes me laugh. I start thinking of that Janet Jackson Super Bowl, like wardrobe malfunction moment. So at least it's audio. So I guess oh we, if I have a wardrobe malfunction, it's it's just for you. I'm already <laughs> having one.
0: I'm like pit sweating like crazy. I don't know what's going on. I think it's hormones.
1: It's I think it's, I keep my, my studio at a nice balmy, like 95 degrees to pretend we're in the tropics, oh, not in the steamboat. Oh, that feels so good actually.
0: But um, I also, often do that like look to the side but I'm actually sniffing
1: my oh own I was about to thing. say yeah the little yeah. the sniff test did I pass did I remember deodorant I did today no, so. Actually, you look great there There's we go circle yeah you're not nervous <laughs> this is like old no you know right are a podcaster I am yes not n- not as seasoned of one as you are I for sure get into that editing bottleneck bane of my existence. So I am very inspired by the off-the-cuff version. And as you know, I subscribe to, you know, wh- what we say in my program of just like feck perfection, which I've told I'm allowed to say uh, on on here. It's not technically a swear word. And it's not even mine. It's from a guy named James Victoria. But it's, it's that getting out of perfectionism, which is, is my work in the world too. So I love this, like, woo! let's just go off the cuff. Um, Here we you
0: go. What I love is how funny you are when you put things out into the world. Like recently you put out this Instagram post about how to use your hands. And then I just noticed <laughs> that you were doing it even though we're not on video. So like you had your hands down and like boob or lower territory (laughs) and you're kind of like circling them little bits here and and normally we're like speaking from the head and you're like throwing your arms all out on the screen that's a no-no isn't
1: it Mm -hmm. yeah she I had found this woman on Instagram that I follow I'm dying laughing I have like these wildly erratic hands I am speed with my hands and i they're normally up like by my ears yeah, they're by your head. and she had this whole video saying your confidence zone was like boobs down <laughs> in the stomach area and i was no. like oh you what really and then stomach? she said up here if you, she was a video coach and it's i'm need to unfollow <laughs> cuz <'cause laughs> i immediately went oh clearly i should never do another video again <laughs> as long as i live she said if your hands are up by your head they're like in the erratic distracting zone and i said i clearly am in this wildly erratic zone so that's funny I, I i did not even realize i had now tried to adjust myself to the to the confidence zone nicole no
0: it's like it's ingrained yeah okay all
1: right you're thinking about it it's in the we're giggling it's, yeah we'll, we'll take some photos <laughs> we'll, we'll put some links in there we'll things. show the do's and the don'ts like the glamour the black box so we'll have the hand this is what you're supposed oh to do oh my god no oh, we could zap each other oh, right god, there you go
0: So we're actually doing this um, podcast live, which never happens anymore because of COVID. Yeah. And like Zoom. Like in real life live. Yeah, like I'm sitting (laughs) watching my within six feet of you. Because, you know, we're at that stage of the pandemic where it's like, if you don't have symptoms, you can see each other and just deal.
1: Yeah. Right? Three, three vaccines in my body so far. <laughs> More to come, I'm well, sure. So. I
0: put off my booster because I had the surgery. Oh. And now I can probably do it, but then yeah. everyone I know got deathly ill. Oh, did you?
1: Oh, no, not at all. Oh, good. It okay. was actually quite. It was the easiest of the three. So okay. I'll go right downstairs afterwards. To yes,
0: Leon Drug. Yes, or Lions <laughs> Drug, maybe. Where I got so my fancy. Did you get your story?
1: I didn't, um, but I did get my booster down at Lions because mm-hmm. I was waiting for a different prescription and was like, hey, can you do it right now? And they're so amazing down there. So. All right,
0: shout outs to little local run businesses in small towns, Lyons yes. Drug. Come visit, when you come to Steamboat, go there for the $1 ice cream. Yes,
1: oh, and they give it to the kids. They got a $1 for getting their vaccines, the Great. ice cream cone. They got a cone? Yes, yes. Oh. So we got our, my kids got their boosters there and they got a kitty cone.
0: Wow, that is amazing. Well, what I love about this is that the only times I've ever interacted with you have been live, and the first time I met you was at the Thrive Women's Conference, where we were both speakers, and I remember looking through the list of other speakers, and I was like, who do I want to connect with? Who do I want to meet after this? And I immediately zeroed in on you,
1: because A, your topic, and B, your name. (laughs) I know it's like LeRoc and Daboom. We should do something No, I know. You know what I think of every time I hear your name in my head, I think of like the shaboom shaboom. <laughs> I don't know if you think it's like a 50s song. <laughs> anyway, so I think of Nicole Daboom. <laughs> That's your musical interlude for today. Yeah,
0: since we don't have music anymore, sing
1: it, baby. <laughs> okay, this is a
0: feel-good episode. Yeah.
1: So it? I will say the funny thing about my name is I was born Lizzie Loud. And so I the joke in my family growing up in my history, right? Like, how do you grow up with a last name of Loud, L-O-U-D? Everyone thinks you're joking. We weren't it was truly, and believe me, my family lives up to the name um but my one of my best friends' stepdads, I would go over to their house when I was little, and he would say, "It's Lizzie Loud, the rock star like that was his opening line every time he saw me and when i when I was marrying my husband she said to her stepdad she said ronnie you aren't gonna believe this she is marrying a guy named matt larock and she is going to be lizzie loud la rock star and that's actually what i named my company my llc is Larockstar la creative and yeah so god i love it and we're gonna go. get back into that
0: in a minute but i want to bring up something about that conference that bonded us forever yes so i i opened the conference by sharing one of my stories and Within a story came another story. That's how it works. And um, I was talking about this paper I wrote in college about the female athlete and how awesome it was and how it basically like foreshadowed the rest of my life and career to date is that, you know, this, this place, this intersection of woman and athlete and, and I turn in this paper and at the end, my, my uh, professor turns it back to me with a B (laughs) minus.
1: The ultimate insult. An
0: insult. And so, you know, everybody laughs and whatever. And so then I go into the next um session, and it was you. And I want you to share why we were bonded by this.
1: Wait, you skipped the part that you said after you got the B minus grade. You said that the paper essentially became your business plan for skirt sports. Yes. And that and I was like, that is the most validating story I have heard or what I'm talking about in my talk. So I went in and I'm talking, my talk was called Perfectly Imperfect, how to embrace your your flossomeness. And I had a whole slide about doing B minus work, about striving for mediocrity, like the version <laughs> the 1.0 version because in my own battle with my perfectionism, I would get caught up which many women I know, especially of of, you know, it's it's got to be A plus or bust and then we don't take the action. So I'd had this whole slide on go for 80%. Like B minus and I I had said I have like a fun cancer statistic that you know in 80% of highly treatable cancers, sorry, in they they have a scientists have an 80% success rate of you know long-term living for people with with highly treatable cancer. And I said if scientists are good with 80%, like we would never say, "Oh, wow, they didn't get a hundred. Like what? Just, you know, back to the drawing board. Like we're still going to take the, the progress that they've made. So, um, yeah, your, your story instead was much more uplifting than my <laughs> cancer statistic. And I got to, <laughs> Nicole was in the audience and I got to say, I've never even met this woman, but I was so inspired by the fact that her B minus paper became the business plan for a, you know, multi-million dollar business. Like, Point proven right here.
0: Proven. Don't let yourself get down if you have a male professor who grades work about female athletes, Uh gives you B minus, doesn't realize that one day you're going to school him. (laughs) Right there. And, you know, it's really interesting because I'm not sure if it's generational that we feel that it's A plus or bust. What do you think? Is that something that was ingrained when you were little kids?
1: I, I think so I think as I was actually just talking to a friend about this um i I think that a lot of it really you know generational culturally genderized a bit you know like in school if we if we go with the the binary which i'm I'm all about non-binary as well but the way I grew up of just very much like boys are supposed to jump off the monkey bars and fall down and and do all the things boys will be boys, and girls were—you know—we were highly rewarded for being very compliant and doing a good job and not ruffling feathers and being—and—and and I know that my girls still would get that feedback in school, like, "Oh, they're just so easy to have in the classroom." And um, there's a woman who's written a wonderful book, Tara Moore, um, called "Playing Big," and and she talks about this sort of the, the schoolgirl mentality and and of, eh, well, maybe in business, it the. Jumping off the monkey bars and some of those risk-taking attributes that were rewarded in boys and not in girls did help propel some, uh, you know, different risk profiles in business. I thought that was a really interesting. So that's not mine, as I said, that's Tara Moore's. But I, I thought it was a really interesting twist on the compliant student, the A-plus student. And what is today's student? And what do you mean as far as like we have kids who are young now they're in school age right like how old are your twins mine are 16 now 16 i feel like an old lady (laughs) i love it so are they
0: aiming for a plus work
1: Definitely. <laughs> they definitely are. And it's such an interesting role as a parent to be like, well, strive for B minus. Right. Like, how, how do you explain that message in the nuanced way that it's that it's meant? Right. And um, but I do I do just impart on them this my belief of it's okay to take risks it's okay to have the the growth mindset like i teach that a lot in my work of that you know when we're only striving for perfection we let go of there i go with my hands again i'm so conscientious there they are there they are they have a life (laughs) of their own people Good thing we're not on video. Um, but that my my girls, that that's growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And this is something that I teach a lot. So with the fixed mindset, you're going for perfection or bust, you know, A plus or bust. And Carol Dweck is the researcher who's done a ton of research on this, where they can actually induce kids to not... Strive and not take risks because they were a plus students and they're so their identity is so wrapped up in that that they are afraid of failing. Anything, And so if we can, you know, impart on them and my girls learned, I don't know about your daughter because she's younger now, like in about third grade, they were teaching growth mindset. And I thought that was brilliant because I was not taught that, you know, this concept of if you're struggling with math, you know, to say like, I'm not good at math yet, you know, or I'm building the skills of math to really come at it from this, this, um, state rather than a trait. and that's that's how I treat creativity, too. Like it's we don't have to subscribe to the the talent that you were born with it, and it's fixed, and it stays and it never grows instead of saying the growth mindset is I'm always learning, I'm always expanding. I'm leaving my comfort zone. I'm getting better every day. And so I think that kids are getting that more in a younger age. And yet culturally, we're still very much subscribing to, yeah, but get the A plus over here. Ah, uh,
0: is it just because it feels like it's so important that if you don't get an A plus in third grade, you're not going to get into the college you want?
1: Yeah, that drove me crazy. I never subscribed to to that one. Like, we need recess. We need fun. We need play. And these are all, all things I teach in my class later on. When as an adult, uh, uh, as an adult, we sort of look at our lives like oh, we just need to strive and work hard and hustle, hustle, hustle. So yeah, I think that there, there can be. I mean, Steamboat's a different, I, I think so many of us move for the lifestyle and quality of life that maybe we don't have that quite as severely at that age. But it, it exists, and I definitely hear it from friends all over that, yeah, performance at an early age, there's this panic of that that's going to translate into later life success.
0: You know, I'm going to pause us because this is a big topic and I always, there comes a point when we have to backtrack and learn about how the heck you got here with Mm. your insights because we're hitting on creativity. We're hitting on basically what you do for a living, the life feast, you know, and, um, and we're, I want to get there, but I want to take a trip down memory lane first and, and uh dig into the who you really are <laughs> and, and how how you evolved to this
1: point. Well, I feel like you just you just put me on the Freudian couch, right? Like this is this is Nicole. I said she was going to get all Barbara Walters on me. Like we're, here we go. Let me get the Kleenex. So what happened to you in third grade, Lizzie, (laughs) when you didn't have the growth mindset? Um, and, and I'll, I'll share because my work is very much born in things that I wish I had done, you know, learned in a different way growing up. And so I would say, so my my work that I do now is based in positive psychology, creativity and photography. But photography was uh, almost a second choice for me, like a consolation prize. As a kid, I was a performer and I wanted to be Annie on Broadway. That's my deep, dirty secret. (laughs) That I truly would stand in the living room and sing Broadway, Sun will Come Out tomorrow. And that's what I wanted. This is before American Idol or there was any sort of Googling of how to do this on your own. That did not exist. And I did not live in Hollywood or New York City. So um, this, you know, I sort of squashed those dreams and 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 it's interesting to think like when I didn't get picked for the musical lead or things that I wanted I told myself oh you must not be good enough not oh you could work harder at that or take lessons or try something or get feedback from the teacher on how to do better instead I just took it to mean yep I I wasn't good enough always knew it and I'll take a different path so when I was about a sophomore in high school, I went to a really creative high school outside of Detroit, Michigan, called Cranbrook. This amazing, amazing school, and it heavily, um, in heavily influenced me and my drive of of creativity these days. So in it, I was had been in a singing group, and the teacher retired, who led the group, and um she fun fact I went to high school with Renee Goldsberry who was um Angelica in the original cast of Hamilton so she was in that singing group with me so it was a really amazing singing group and the the teacher retired and the the singing group disbanded and they were just having this really formal singing group and I I didn't want to be I wanted the more fun pop culture one and so you had to take an art class you were required to take art classes in my school which is so foreign today and um, I chose photography. I thought, well, that seems kind of interesting. I'll, I'll go into photography. So I like to say I learned photography back in the, in the dark ages or the dark room ages. But my teenage angst, like at 15, I mean, it was high, right? There was a lot of drama in my world of, you know, boys and friends and, and all the things. And I found this beautiful solace in the dark room of just this quiet, which I know is surprising, right? I have these erratic hands and this <laughs> boisterous <laughs> laugh, like, but I really enjoyed the quiet of the dark room. And I started doing, you know, what I call now these photo walks of, you know, you'd have a, a roll of, of film that you had to go take to make it worthwhile to be in the dark room for a really long time. So I would go out and without knowing it would practice this this mindfulness practice of taking photos of shadows or reflections. And I had to do so many because it was a roll of film. Like you had, you had to go do it all at once, not like one, one picture a walk. So it would be 35 pictures or however long the roll of film was. So it was really this beautiful place where I think I just found a lot of soothing as a teenager. And then I lost track of my, I I minored in it in college, but after college I got like the real job and all the things. And, um, and I lost track of my photography for a long, long time for good, like 10 years or so. And, um, I, I actually, my husband and I went through some major, infertility do, do we give like a if anyone's sensitive to that I appreciate True.
0: good point yeah definitely trigger warning alert for sure
1: yeah so we had we experienced some pretty unbelievable infertility um some regular pregnancy loss and then a, and then an ectopic that was nearly fatal I'll say and it was it was a big deal I was in the hospital for a while and when I um, and then we tried in vitro, and, and that didn't work. And I was pretty devastated. And I was in my early 30s, so it wasn't—it um, it was unusual that we were going through this. And when um, the in vitro failed after these multiple losses and this near-death experience, I kind of was just spent and done and exhausted, emotionally, physically. All of it, and a, a photography um, class came up across my radar, and here in Steamboat, and I decided to take it. And my we, my husband and I had actually decided to pursue adoption as our route to parenthood. And I, so, adoption is the most amazing process. And I'm, I'm an adoptive mom of these beautiful twin 16 year olds now. Um, But it's a it's a long process to get going and and do all of the initial interviewing and paperwork and approvals and all that. And I knew that I just needed a little bit of a, a break. And so I took this this photography class and it was it was just balm for my soul. Like it was so helpful in the midst of this really trying period of time. To have this uh, self-expression again, and this to be in the flow of it, and to really—and I—I think I'd kind of told myself too, well, I can take this time off of work because at the end of the day, you know, I'll learn how to take better pictures of my kids. And but but really, what it was for me was reconnecting with this part of myself that had gone dormant in a whole lot of stress, right? I mean, as you know, my my restaurant history as well. Well, let's
0: let's get to the
1: restaurant history. For sure.
0: Um All right, I got to pause. Other. Oh, all right. So, we're back and now we're sitting really close <laughs> together cuz um you know, in a live podcast, when the one microphone stops working
1: <laughs> to share in
0: the times of COVID, it's weird. But fun, so fun. Hi, Lizzie. You're like
1: four So fun. I'm worried that my erratic hands are going to knock you out.
0: We're like five inches apart. We could be kissing and we shouldn't.
1: <laughs> that would be really bad.
0: Not only because of COVID, but you know, we're in relationships and all that good stuff. But anyway, I thought this would be a great opportunity to run my first ad of the show. Yeah many of you know, I recently launched a new business. It is called Aesop, but some people call it Aesop. Right, Lizzie?
1: (laughs) Accidentally.
0: Yes. Oh, she's in the ad now too. Um, Aesop is a place where people can record, preserve, and share the stories of their lives. And I created it because I actually was talking to my dad maybe about a year ago and he was like, you know, Nicole, I just, I feel like I want to I want to record some of these stories from when I was a little kid so that the grandkids could know what it was like to grow up in the 40s and 50s. And I looked at him, I was like, well, dad, I've got microphones. Let's do it. So anyway, I ended up recording with him and one of the mics went bad. (laughs) So if you listen to that reel on the sample reel of the ESOP Nation podcast... Um, You will also hear that same issue that Lizzie and I are dealing with right now, but it never happens when I do these Zoom episodes with all these lovely people who realize what a cool service this is and how wonderful it truly is to record their own memories and then be able to share them with the people they love at any time I create private password protected pages, unless you want your story to get out there with the public. Um, then I will put you on my public Esop Nation podcast. People are using Esop for things that I never expected. Um, a couple people so far have booked it for business use, and I absolutely love that. I created a business package for that purpose. Think about it. You're going along. You're, you're competing against all the other realtors in your town. People these days... They're interviewing realtors. They want to know what are these people really like, not how many, you know, homes they sold last month. Well, they want to know that too, but they want to know, are they going to have my family's best needs in mind? And so I, um, I suggest that you go ahead and book your own private interview so that people can get a little better glimpse into who you really are because those connections make all the difference when you're making those big decisions in your life. Lizzie, do you notice I'm using my hand a lot, but I'm doing some weird <laughs> <laughs> like motion with it?
1: She is. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: that. Yeah. It's cool. So anyway, go to esopnation.com A-E-S-O-P Nation.com. If there is a product you want that I don't offer, let me know. Email me Nicole at esopnation.com. All right. Back to the show. Oh wait, I'm the interviewer. I backed away. Um, so
1: wait, no. I'll just say that I think that what you're doing is so amazing. As you know, I'm a huge fan of of what you're doing and how these stories passed on are really incredible. I'm a story collector. I love stories, and and I think as I shared with you, my grandfather did some recorded m- memoirs of his stories before he passed away, and it was such a lovely thing to have for our family. So.
0: Well, and it really is. And one of the big hang ups for people is they may know how to record, but they really don't know how to share. And it's not easy. You might record a file and then you send it to people. And they're like, what do I do with this file? Or, you know, so I help people make that a lot easier. So thank you for uh, being my live testimonial. <laughs> but back to the show here. Let's talk. Can I talk a little bit more about your photography for a second? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I remember about being a kid in photography is both Polaroids and throwaway cameras Mm. yeah like disposable ones you mean yeah yeah Yeah. like there's something to taking a photo and then having it show up in your hand and then you can get rid of it if you want to
1: (laughs) right yeah which is so interesting that you know people can still be sort of paralyzed even with the digital photography and you think well you can trash it pretty easily although with my with my getting out of perfectionism my flossomeness, I'm always like well don't don't throw everything away right away um don't judge be so quick to to judge but yeah there was something so beautiful about the old photography that didn't you know I love digital photography and with the instant gratification but there was also something so lovely about that period of time that you had to wait or or going to like one hour photo and, and one hour like that was right I remember being really little and you had to wait days or weeks and then you know, in high school, maybe you only had to wait an hour and and how exciting that was to get those.
0: Well, and what an experience as a younger young adult, having that dark room kind of nostalgia, It's like you were learning a flow state at a really young age. And I think where we're heading with your life story is that at some point, you lost the flow state. Like you fell in love, you met the guy. You got the name, you know. (laughs) But then you started running into some hurdles. And fertility is a tough one, especially when you're young. And it can really, you know, bring out a lot of negative self-worth feelings. And so, you know, I I just, I I see how when you saw that photography class come up, how it it really, it reawakened something within you.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, just just like with the stories that we tell in either visually or in an audio capacity, that, you know, photography serves that same purpose. It's this the way that I teach it is. You, know, you it's this way to savor the past there's that nostalgia of the past with it but then there's also this very present moment way of as you as you alluded to or overtly stated the, the flow state of being in this flow state which is this optimal state of well-being and for sure I, I lost that for a long time in a life of a whole lot of drama and and chaos you know that had nothing on my my teenage (laughs) version of that the adult version so we owned my husband and I owned a restaurant for 14 years and if you've heard the stories of you know that's a tough business to be in I mean it's wild understatement. It is an extremely difficult business to be in. And in the midst of our infertility and um, I guess what I didn't share was that when we were still struggling to to get pregnant and then sustain a pregnancy and then decided to go the route for adoption, what we thought would be a, a very lengthy process actually took about three months or so. And twins usually come early as did ours so in we were we had been struggling with this fertility issue for three years and then became parents to twins in four weeks from the time that we were picked so it was it was amazing and incredible and shocking (laughs) and we didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare we owned a 300 seat restaurant so it was it was a bit busy and all of a sudden we are not just bringing home one beautiful baby but we're bringing home two so um, as overwhelming as that might sound i can say yes it was it was very overwhelming and uh, in in the best ways and in the most stressful ways as well. If my children <laughs> listen to this as my memoir someday, I just want them to know, you know, they were, we were so excited to have them come home and, and it was a lot in a short period of time. So I didn't have any preparation for filling my role within the restaurant, and I worked very full-time in there, and neither did my husband. So we were kind of thrown into this and both coped with it in in different ways. And um, he ended up having some orthopedic issues over the years, like a lot of back surgeries and ankle surgeries and things that Nicole is familiar with from a recent surgery. And um, and in that, you know, he definitely uh, struggled with self medicating in ways that maybe weren't as as helpful or conducive to to his own well being or our well being and. And he's now, I can say now he's like over, I don't know, 14 years sober, and he is an addiction counselor and therapist for substance abuse. But our story was definitely mired in a whole lot of substance abuse, alcoholism in extended families and in our own world. And and I came at it from the, the I guess, the perspective, you could say, of being the, the codependent, the person who was... Enabling and managing and taking care of everything, and um, and he was s- struggling to. He he had wanted to be in long-term recovery and be sober and was struggling because we we owned a restaurant. So it's sort of that, if you're a diabetic, should you work in a Krispy Kreme? And the answer is probably that's not a great spot. And if you are trying to get sober initially, um, you know the restaurant environment was a difficult one. For him, so we had little kids. We had a huge restaurant, and he's trying to get sober um, amidst having, I think it was like seven orthopedic surgeries over six years: three ankles, a back, a clavicle. Um, yeah, so there were more just <laughs> a couple couple backs in there, and um, so. I actually, my my very first therapist that I went to when he was struggling with relapse, uh, she actually introduced me to this concept of being codependent, and I also attended Al-Anon for a lot of years, and everyone was telling me, like, basically, you need to get a life. You need to get a life where you are no longer trying to manage somebody else's life. Give him the experience of Doing this on his own and and stop over functioning, and um, I took that to heart. Like, great, all right, full permission to like get a life. That sounds amazing. So, I immediately like jumped in a creative writing group. I then um, the same photography teacher that I had taken the very intense class with a couple of years before, she then was doing something on a you know weekly basis in her home in the evenings where I where I could leave to go take off for a couple hours and really um, honor this creative side of myself. And and it was, I think, you know, in society, so many of us are like, oh, I'm a mom, I'm working, I'm a wife, I've got to take care of everything and everyone. But when you're smacked, like when it's a, you're really brought to your knees with um, this, the, the level of, of crises and, and chaos that I had been, it was a it was an overnight wake-up call of, okay, what can you do that is going to teach you how to honor your own life and get out of his, basically. Yeah.
0: Was there ever a time during all of this chaos? Because I, I feel like you were in a tornado or something, mm-hmm. like, or like multiple natural disasters at once. <laughs> I mean, did you hit a moment where you were just like, I'm not, I can't go on in this life? Like not, you know, I am running a, a, a series called "Touch by Suicide and I'm not referring to being suicidal, although maybe you did have those thoughts. But I'm just referring to like, this is not sustainable. This is not who I want to be. I am not who I am in my core, but I don't know who that is. Like, did you hit that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish I, I could say that it had sort of more of this dramatic, like, you know, oh, I woke up one day and decided that, and it was such a straight, linear line to who I am today. And instead, it was so much back and and forth and a constant learning of, oh, yeah, that's why I get so frustrated when I fall back into trying to manage everybody else's life. Let me go reconnect with myself. So it was this reminder, and I think because... um, because our sort of return to a healthy life took longer through through surgeries and and all of that over the years it gave me this really i just got to practice resilience over and over and over again and realize what what I would put up with so now my um my core of of what I will do in life and won't, and my as I said to you earlier, if there were a reality t v show camera in my house of what my life looks like now, it's so boring that <laughs> nobody would want to watch ever where back then it would have been quite exciting to to see. You know the soap opera level and so I think that now my my strength in my core of, of who I am and and what my boundaries are is I really had a lot of years you know painful and also uplifting to hone in on that
0: okay so I'm like we're at the point in your story where you're you're trying to control your path, and you're trying, like you said, trying to manage things, and you kind of jumped forward and said, "Like I learned, basically, like that's not the way." What happened when you finally? L- I'm thinking of your story of your restaurant, but like, <laughs> so I'm feeding you this right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. No. Um, like when you finally you put something out in the universe, you f- try to make it happen, then you finally just say, "Shit." I just need to let it happen if it's gonna, right? Like, how empowering is that?
1: Yeah, so are you referring to the actual like decision to to really sell? So yeah, I mean, that was also, everything with me, it feels like it was like a very long, drawn out process of learning. Like I wish it was a take the bandaid off quickly, but man, I mean, so we originally tried to sell the restaurant um, right in 2008. So it was uh, smack dab in the Great Recession times. So for another five years were these painful years of not not being able to sell and you know, struggling with sort of financial implosion of that whole scenario. And I think what you're referring to is, so when um, my husband broke his clavicle and had to have surgery on that, and I, I think, uh, I mean, as silly as this sounds, it was like the sound of Velcro would put me over the edge of his brace <laughs> of just, you know, and it was like I heard, I had PTSD, I had PTSD to hearing crutch, the noise of crutches on a tile floor and, and Velcro of repositioning a brace, which makes me sound like Nurse Ratchet, but... There you have it.
0: Um, I'm just going to chime in. I've heard a couple of these uh, little PTSD stories, one of which came about when I asked my following to tell me their signs of menopause. And one of them wrote, I can't stand the sound of my husband chewing his cereal. (laughs) It drives me (laughs) insane.
1: So I totally hear you. I get it. That makes me feel better. So I think one almost fatal Velcro sound. I lost it, and um, ended up hiring a coach, a really amazing coach. And he and I sat on a picnic bench opposite of the restaurant where that I owned the building and the restaurant. And we sat at this picnic table, and he said to me, "What? What do you want to work on here? Like it sounds like things are just a hot mess." Or as my friend, who very flatteringly would say that I dressed well, she'd say I was like an oat mess, like an oat couture mess. <laughs> um, but the the this hot mess life, like where are we gonna start? Like what are we digging into? Do you want to dig into the the marriage or? the restaurant. Like what's your priority here? And I said, I don't know what's going to happen with either, but all I know is I have to get rid of that restaurant no no matter what. And so I think that's where I just really was was brought to my knees of of going there's there's no hope in working on the the relationship piece if if we don't remove ourselves from the the chaos and that's not to say that that's ever there's so many wonderful restaurants. I feel like I have to give a shout out to like the amazing restaurant owners whom I know and love and who have been through so much in the past few years and the and the current restaurant owners we really struggled with it from our own history and lack of of coping mechanisms at the time, healthy ones. So, and the recession and the infertility and the, the substance, it just was a trifecta of, you know, I can't do this anymore. And from that moment, it actually, you're right. It was sort of an overnight thing. I set that out. I think that was in July that I said, we have to be done with this. And by August, after five years of it being on the market, um, by August, we were having multiple uh, excellent offers coming in from, without even actually a public listing, they came in from all over the place. Like a friend sat in an airplane next to other restaurant owners from Breckenridge who possibly wanted to open. He called to tell me to meet up with them. Um, Some really high-end restaurant owners contacting us that they wanted to open something, and ultimately, this amazing woman, Melissa, who ended up buying it. Um, I think it happened in October. So from July to October was this overnight being done with, with my 14 year restaurant career.
0: Okay. So (laughs) when you step back, it's like my sign moving. Um, that's exactly what I remember was like five years i mean those offers could have been coming in for five years but some energy around what was going on did not allow that and when you finally made the decision you just opened it up either you were more aggressive or like who knows what happens and i just find that to be so weird it's like is that really how the world works
1: I think so. I mean, that's really been my experience both in the adoption journey and in the in the restaurant. And and it was so interesting. You know, I'm not a I'm a consider myself more of a, a spiritual person than a than a religious person. And I remember this woman from the adoption agency, and I was nervous and asking a lot of questions, like very you know, trying to do my research and and not just sign on to anything. And I remember her saying, like, at some point, you have to, I'm going to cry. She was like, you have to allow for a little divine intervention. And it was, it's so interesting. Like, we struggled for three years. And then once we made the decision, all of a sudden, we were parents faster than we could blink an eye with two of the most amazing people I've ever met, where I can look back at that story and go, I'm so glad... It took three years to to meet these humans that were, were men. So oh now I'm, see we're having the, the Barbara Walters moment, <laughs> the Oprah moment. <laughs> Tears are coming. Um but then you know with the with the restaurant one as well, like I could say, Oh, I regret that they didn't happen for those five years, but the growth and the resilience that I built in that time has made it so that Going through something like the pandemic now that I had so many tools to to draw on that lead me to the work that I'm doing now within positive psychology, within creativity. So yeah, I could say, I wish I'd had that epiphany, you know, <laughs> in two thousand and eight but instead i really do look at it as yeah there were there were gifts there were struggles but there were gifts in in all of that too and let me tell you it has taken me a long time <laughs> to get to that perspective because there were a lot of times with a lot of four letter swear words that d- did not feel like gifts in in all of that
0: yeah you know i i think a lot of people can relate I mean, we go through times of turmoil in our lives, but it's not sustainable. You can't stay there forever. Something has to give at some point. And most of us reach a breaking point and maybe they, some people reach it because they have addictions and it's forced on them. And some people like you are just like, "I something needs to give, you know, but what it really comes down to also is we're evolving creatures and What we think our purpose is in our life is great sometimes for a while, but then it changes. And it's funny, you know, you're in this world of helping people find their purpose or get closer to their core, you know, all these different kind of (laughs) self-helpy genres. But um, I literally, the other day I was like, I Googled, how do I find my purpose? (laughs) an article came up and it was like seven questions that'll help you find your purpose and one of them was what kind of shit sandwich do you like most? <laughs> and the thing was that no matter what you end up doing you it's hopefully most of it will be good, but there's going to be some bad stuff. So of the bad stuff, what do you like the most? Mm -hmm. And then that can help you. (laughs) It's the only question I remember. But, um, you know, I really think this whole journey and what you're kind of talking about is this like realignment of self to purpose at an age and stage where you were and what was tolerable at that age and stage.
1: Yeah, I mean, so first I'll say I like I like to say I take the hell out of self help, <laughs> make it really playful and and fun, in that piece. Um, not that not that Is there's any pee? hell in self help. <laughs> self pee? Self? So, well, I I make it. So, did I just say that incorrectly? Wait, I take so the hell you... out of self help. So it's self pee. Yeah. So, yeah, so your pee? Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't work, does it? Uh oh. <laughs> I need a I need a I need a rewrite of my motto um yeah but but truly so nice. try to make it make it playful and um now I've lost my train of thought with <laughs> this self. oh purpose purpose that's the p there we go we found it we found it so you know I would like to say that I think we, I think what's interesting when you Google, I love, I love that answer of which, which way of the shit sandwich do you want to go? Because yeah, I mean something like starting the, the business that I've started from scratch, which there is no blueprint, like, like Aesop, you know, there's, there's, or Aesop, there is no, I'm the one who mispronounces it, but it's that there's no blueprint of how to do this. And that, that really you, you have to love it in a way that keeps you going through everything and that's where like I said I learned that resilience piece of good lord on my worst days in my current business it's nowhere near what the with the restaurant piece is. so I can draw on those strengths to to get through the next level the purpose piece I, I taught a class in my life east community back in September on this Japanese concept of ikigai have you did we talk about this have you heard about it? so ikigai is this it's it's purpose as well but it's the eastern version rather than the western and it's really about there's there's sort of that that big p purpose but there's also the little p of what are these everyday moments that you know get you up and out of the bed in the morning like is your these these moments of ikigai aren't just about i think that's we have this um what we would say like purpose fatigue where if I'm searching for my purpose what is my purpose you start to put yourself in a stress state and and what I teach in creativity is when you're in a stress state you are not creative you're actually we say our negative emotions narrow and focus us which is a good thing if you're like running from the tiger or you're running to catch the plane that's late and you've got to get to the gate like you are hyper focused on getting to that gate on time, and at that moment, no one's saying like, "Hey, what's your purpose? What's the book you're gonna write? What's your write? You're you're not. You're so we talk about it." As once you get up in the plane, right, and you're relaxed like you made it, whew, you can take that 20,000 foot view of the bigger picture and your dashboard widens. This is where creativity comes in. I call this, or I don't call this, this is from the researchers, but this broaden and built state where if you layer joy and hope and uh, gratitude and other positive emotions uh, on top that your your dashboard your windshield widens and you're able to come up with creative ideas. So it's interesting when people go into that purpose search of, of putting themselves in the least likely state of actually being able to connect with that purpose rather than the the Ikigai version, which is to understand that, like, your relationships are part of your Ikigai, your um, love of yourself, your love of others, your love of your morning coffee, your love of all these beautiful, meaningful moments that make up your entire life, rather than our more, you know, Western version, which might be like, what is your purpose? You know, what is your legacy going to be? What's the impact that you have? And I find that to be such a relief of just, oh, wow, I could just appreciate this whole beauty and meaningful life in this different version of purpose. I love
0: what you've built around this whole philosophy. I love the name of your business, Life Feast. There's something about the word feast. It's a very positive word. And it's a very, it's like, it reminds me of food, of course, which we (laughs) just devoured. uh, And the restaurant. And the restaurant. Oh my God. (laughs) Talk a little bit about Life Feast. Like why, why this business? Why this name? What do you help people do?
1: Yeah. So The Life Feast, um, the, the name comes from a Derek Walcott poem. And it's, it's the the last line of it is uh, to, to peel your own image away from the mirror and to sit and feast on your life. And it's really a poem about self-love and acknowledging who you are. And when I read this poem back in the midst of the chaos restaurant days, I started bawling as soon as I read it and thought, oh my gosh, it's it's all about this Um, stranger who you used to know who was yourself and reconnecting to this stranger so it's a really beautiful poem and I thought I, I years later if there was what I wanted to name my program on was this this concept of feasting on your life and truly like while my story is is very dramatic and some people might relate to the the level of drama others are just I like to say especially not I like to say but I've pointed out that as as women I think of a certain age with kids we tend to subsist on the crumbs of life like life's leftovers so it's let me take care of everybody else first so not even in the codependent way just in the normal functioning way of getting everyone where they need to be and functioning in school and doctor's appointments and camp and thriving and dinner and laundry and 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 I will say like my husband is extremely helpful so big shout out like we have a very now a very equal role in in raising our kids but there were a lot of years where I was having this over functioning I know that this is quite normal in our culture today of women taking on what you know they call that second shift of taking care of everything at home and not in all cases but in in a lot of them and so it's this subsisting on crumbs piece that I really wanted to speak to with women to say you know we we I mean for all the food metaphors here because I also love food that you know our needs can go on like front burner, right? Instead of just the back burner all the time, how do we put ourselves as a priority and what beautiful ripple effects does that have in our family? Because when we are the stressed out version of ourselves, like, are we overreacting? Are we, or not even overreacting, like having a normal reaction to a very high you know, allostatic load, as as you would say in the research, of like it's just a a lot to bear, and the pandemic has made that even exponentially more. With with I think it's like three and a half million women have left the workplace in the last two years, and most of those, some of the bigger hits of ex, the exodus, have been in the fall, in like September, when when school starts. So it's it's so interesting, and, and we get to that point of way beyond burnout uh, of just, oh, I've taken care of everything. Who am I again? What ice cream flavor do I like? What movie do I want to watch? Do I really like all the Marvel movies, or do I have other interests? And I found that with my friends, when my kids, so with twins, right, we've reached each milestone simultaneously, so I didn't have you know, oh, I've got a littler one at home. It was all of a sudden they reached about eight years old. And I think I thought like, oh my gosh, I used to be an interesting person to talk to. And now uh, we just talk about summer camp and permission slips and volunteering at school and all the different life things that revolved around our kids. And I really wanted to have like this, you know, these deeper conversations with, with women who are fascinating and interesting and we would default to this Here's how we are managing everything. Did you, did you feel that way too? Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, my big example is I
0: would go to the grocery store and I would buy like regular raspberries for me and Tim and the organic ones for my kid. (laughs) And then I wouldn't eat the organic ones because those were for my kid and she was more valuable than Mm. me. Right. Right. And um, yeah, I get it. I totally do. And I was I had a career and I was at Skirt Sports and doing all the things. But I often would forego those core things that I knew I needed, like a workout or, you know, me time, because I felt that other people had priority.
1: Yeah. And to realize that as fully actualized human beings, you know, we are more than just somebody's dinner <laughs> maker and all the things and and what I would point out is so when my girls were little I mean I'd like to say we did all the activities. This was the liberal arts childhood, maybe a little overscheduled at times, but it was because i I valued all these activities. And so did my friends. You know we were all at dance classes, dropping kids off and piano lessons and art classes. And I would look at their roster and go, "I want to take piano. I want to take all these different classes, and I'm just sitting in my car checking my email for work and trying to get caught up on things while I'm waiting. And what I thought was so interesting is that we would show model this for our kids when they're little. Like enrichment is so important to have these wide variety of interests that go beyond school classroom learning only to turn around and as grown-ups to model for them like hey but give all that up when you become an adult so that you can just drive everybody around and check your email and take care of all the activities instead of saying so is it is it selfish to have go to a creative writing class or or to photography class or whatever you're interested in or is it saying when I'm happy and I'm fulfilling either my little P, my big P, whatever P it is w- within that spectrum of just this lit up version of myself, does that make my family life a lot more fun and, and interesting and engaging? And am I, is, is that what I want to model for my kids rather than like stressed out version of me?
0: okay, this is funny because I have this question actually written down. I didn't know if we were going to go here and it's the perfect time. And so what I wrote down was, what do you want your girls to remember about you and to know about you? And let's just add when they're 40.
1: Mm, Yeah, I love that. So as they're watching me build this business, I, I remember I'll say years ago when I first started teaching um, the my original version of the Life Feast, which was much different than what it is now. I remember one of them was probably like 8, eight or 9 years old, and she wrote me a note, and it said, um, Dear Mommy, I hope you have a great day today even if nobody shows up for your class or something like that. It was so sweet. It was like, I love you even if nobody else shows up. And I saved that note. It was the most just, I thought, oh, I I am showing them what it's like to show up for yourself and to hold your dreams in high regard and to also not do it in an A-plus way and to pick yourself back up. I had had, you know, I think a class that, now I have lots of people in my classes, but back then it was early. And and so I thought that that was just such a sweet lesson that she had taken on. And they ask me about it all the time. Like, how is your business going? And I love, you know, they have very entrepreneurial spirits. I love sharing with them wh- what I'm doing and to honor this whole human that, that I am. So as 40-year-olds, I would want them to reflect back on this and say, I watched my mom do what she absolutely loved and lit her up in the world and make it this wild success. As we saw in the early days, like it wasn't easy. It wasn't that glossy Instagram version where it all looks perfect all the time. They they see it all. And this is what I teach in the Life LifeVease is really this permission to be human, permission to be a fully, flawsome, amazing person Who's, who's trying what she wants and making a go of it because that's the perseverance piece. And yeah.
0: No, I love this. You know, it's, it's making me want to hear like a summary piece of it. Like I'm going, huh, if, so I'm going to throw this out there. If you had to pick one word to summarize 2022, a year that does not yet exist, only a few weeks what is that word
1: oh dear i am i'm am a long-winded person nicole if you it's just like picking a favorite child i gotta pick the i feel like the word of the year exercises they, they stress me out a little bit um but i i i love this i would say um like this is the year oh wow what what would it be that maybe it's so
0: maybe it's just a word that is resonating with you right now.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like with where where we've been the last two years is you know, there have been a many ups and downs and false starts, I think. And settling into this, okay, if this is how how it is with with where we are within the the pandemic, um, I want to live this joyful, fulfilled life, and that's what, what drove me to this this teaching these concepts in the first place and to say i I don't want to go down those rabbit holes of of doubt or anything that that really gets in my way of this fully embodied version. I guess maybe it's the ikigai word that's that that's really it of this uh, encompassing everything that's meaningful to me, the the bigger purpose of reaching more women with the work that I'm doing, as well as the smaller purpose of fully appreciating all these meaningful moments in in the everyday. And that's that's what I teach with photography and with positive psychology. Like I like to say that I teach people how to infuse their lives with curiosity, awe, mindfulness, adventure, and play, through the lens of creativity, and and I teach that with photography because I think of photography as like a gateway drug to any creative endeavor. So if, if photography is your jam, like it is mine, you know you'll learn everything about how to take pictures that that light you up, that that you love, not the ones that impress everybody else. In this mindful practice that I teach, as well as you know the pictures of the people that you love, like we do a lot with shadows and reflections and mindfulness but also with with these messy moments of being a human that that we still want to capture and not say oh everyone looks like they need to be on the cover of a Cat, Eddie Bauer catalog or or a Christmas card so i really i want to fully embody that that ikigai word in 2022 knowing that Um, we've, we've been through a lot the past two years and to use all those, those strengths that I've built from more difficult times to embody that, that more than maybe other times in the pandemic.
0: Okay. That was awesome and hilarious (laughs) because I didn't know like a word exercise, like the word of the year existed, but then i was like wait she didn't say a word but you said like 500 words and i'm gonna like write them all down and they're all good ones um you know i just want to make sure people know where to find you because you are amazing you have such good energy and why would people come looking for you and where do they go
1: well thank you see that's that's why i joked that if you make me pick one word i will give you (laughs) 500 million words to pick from (laughs) you pick your favorite word of that. So I picked an obscure word that I I will say, like I am obsessed with all all these sort of in, in the life face we have wabi-sabi, which is this, this perfectly imperfect things are beautiful because of their imperfections. That's another word I love. There's yugen, which is this state of awe. Um, So yeah, you will learn these 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 little nuances. I have a Life Feast lexicon that I that I give everyone. So you can people can find me at thelifefeast.com and they would come looking for me because you know, maybe you're feeling that same way that, that you've subsisted on the crumbs and you're ready to feast on your life you're ready to learn these positive psychology tools and these creativity tools you know i teach creativity because we really can create whatever whatever we want in in life and so if i remind you of that in these simple photography practices with your iPhone right like that's the thing there's no special equipment required no experience required I am teaching you with the the best as we say in photography like the best camera is the one you have with you and you have a really damn good camera with you FYI these days and it doesn't have to be iPhone it could be smartphone as well but that you know you can take these moments um you know i i would start the practice of waiting at, at a dance class and instead of checking that email i would say i you know can i go for a 15 minute photo walk and and you know really indulge in my own creativity in this moment get into that flow state you know fun fact i'll just share that during the initial quarantine Um, around the world back in, in March of 2020, they did a lot of research studies and people who were able to get into the flow state with creative endeavors fared exponentially better than everybody else during that time. So I think we, we poo poo creativity from, you know, a a younger, like once you've gotten into maybe middle school, it's not encouraged as, as anymore. And that we need to recognize like it's a stress reduction tool. It's a self care tool. It is a self exploration tool. It, and it's this way to build confidence that you can create what you want in life. So, People can find me at thelifebeast.com. If you are interested in these concepts of curiosity, awe, mindfulness, play, uh, ikigai, <laughs> my new theme, and also in in learning this, as I said, this gateway drug, uh, smartphone photography practice, then come find me. It's it's a really fantastic community of women living outside the box of of our. our predetermined roles I guess you could say where uh thriving in family and in our lives and and also I like to say that positive psychology is not the the good vibes only messaging at all this is full permission to be human this is the ability to bend instead of break this is resilience and that's what that's what positive psychology is rooted in this this flourishing and there have been articles written that we aren't you know flourishing through the pandemic as the and even pre-pandemic that this is this state of languishing so I teach all of these tools to help people live these feasty lives as I like to say
0: oh boy I love it all right everybody so you're gonna get over take a note go over to lifefeast.com you're gonna stop living on the crumbs Lizzie I ask every guest who comes on the show final question If you can leave our listeners, I'm going to draw it out so you can think, with one final nugget, one little piece of advice to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be?
1: Mm, Okay. So, again, (laughs) long-winded Lizzie, one final statement. Honor who you are reconnect to that version of you that lit up version of of yourself you know this is my barometer in life uh, is is it okay if I add one final story yeah. so I'll, I'll add a story that um this this ties it back to my Annie on Broadway days so about six six or seven years ago after we sold the restaurant I had decided that um, I wanted to do this community theater comedy group that I had been in the audience of for many, many, many years here in Steamboat. And I always wanted to audition for it, and I never did. And I expressed it to some friends, and I said, what, you know, what do you want to do after you own <laughs> sell the restaurant? I want to go try out for Cabaret. And I wanted to write parodies about mom life. And I went and did it and I barely told anyone that I was going to be in this performance for hundreds of people. And I had written and directed a piece and a friend of mine found out and she came and was this amazing champion. And I remember she said to me afterwards, she said, we're allowed to do that. Like as moms, as busy louds, as busy moms, we're allowed to like go do this. It was an intensive, like three week rehearsal performance time at night in the evenings, home after midnight, way past my bedtime on a school night. And I said, yeah, we're allowed to do that. Like, and she joined the next year and every year after. And we say that that is always my barometer of like, what is my most lit up version? So I guess my final words would be, you are allowed to do that. Give yourself full permission
0: You are allowed to do that. I love it. It's a wrap
1: with Lizzie LaRock. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Nicole. I loved our intimate one mic (laughs) setup. I had to keep my arms very settled.
0: Um, I noticed both of our arms are like both on the same side though, which is really weird. It's like we're almost holding hands. Anyway, you guys, it's been real. I hope you love the show today. If you have a chance, head over and write me a review. You know, I took a little break a while back and uh, it's time to get this thing some lift off again. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I will see you next time.